I had some experience from Get on, on location, you know, reporting and so on and so forth. So like I said, it's like Uber. So we had to report location of taxis and so on and so forth. So I knew how to build to scale. And there is, I strongly believe that there is such a thing as premature optimization. On the other hand, if you understand what you're building towards, you can build it more or less right sooner. In some of my decisions and, and the engineering decisions, we, we built it to scale from day one. In others, we didn't. And once we started to scale like crazy, obviously we ran into issues. My name is Lior Sion. I'm the CTO and co-founder at Brink. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Lior Sion created a platform for non-tech businesses to delight their users during the final mile. All this and more on Code Story. Lior Sion has been doing tech for 30 years since he was in high school. He's married with two amazing kids and a dog, a Vizsla to be specific. He's passionate about ultra running, which is anything larger than a marathon, which can equate to five or six hours of running. Yeah, you heard me right. He loves the contrast between being outdoors and computers and typically runs the trails and rivers around where he lives. Around eight or nine years ago, Amazon was a losing company, as in they were losing money. At the time, Lior was CTO of a ride-hailing company in Europe, where he gained great understanding around logistics in this industry. He realized that, though companies like Amazon and Uber could create connected and seamless service for their customers, the rest of the world would have difficulty doing so. Lior and his co-founders decided to create an operating system enabling these types of players to achieve this out of the box. This is the creation story of Bring. So Bring is an operating system for big enterprises that wants to have like a 21st century logistical system that includes visibility for themselves and for the consumers and Amazon level of service. While we solve the logistical problems of the very big, uh, the biggest enterprises in the world, the way we look at it, and this is also how we started, is that we improve customer experience uh, on the physical world, obviously, for people, retailers, restaurants, groceries, and services that want to provide that top level of, of experience for their customers. And we do that through improving logistics performance and visibility. So Bring exists for about eight years. So I'm gonna do a throwback to eight, nine years ago, because a lot of the things I'm gonna say now is, is the people will say, but well, you know, obviously, but it's not such a big deal. But nine years ago, uh, Amazon is a losing company. They lose money. Uh, every year, they are not what they are now. Uber, um, you know, I think they just raised like $300 million and it sounded a lot. Obviously, afterwards, they, they raised billions and, and IPO'd, but back then it was $300 million. It sounded a lot. I was actually, before Bring, I was CTO with Get, uh, which is like an Uber competitor in Europe. So I knew about logistics and visibility in ride hailing world. And, but it was basically, I don't want to say it was done, but it was solved and there was a solution, it worked. With Amazon and, and Uber and ourselves, 
we understood that once you provide customers with this visibility, uh, allowing them to take ownership of their of, of their time when they are waiting for something, you have such a compelling event which is so strong in mind of consumers that they will always always return to you. If you provide this last mile in a good way, you'll always they will return for you and they will create relationship with you. Uh, Amazon was saying that for a very long time, but like I said, they were losing. But we, we believe that if they continue to invest in customer experience, they will win. That said, uh, Amazon and Uber are technological companies. And we understood that for the rest of the world, the retailers and the, like I said, restaurants world and, and the groceries and services, which you know are classical businesses without technology background, it will be very hard to build these platforms and they will have many, many, many challenges. And we created this operating system in a way, an open platform that allows them to do all of those things out of the box. Well, tell me about the MVP. Tell me about that first product you built, how long it took to build and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life. So that's interesting, actually. So so I'm, I'm going to touch a little bit about technology and a little bit about entrepreneurial tricks. We believed from the beginning that from day one, when we start the company, we want the investors and customers to look at us as an established company, not like a startup, a garage type of thing. We decided that being professional and, and being high-end from day one will allow us to have higher valuations and to move faster. For the MVP, we invested quite a lot in graphics, like our first hire was actually a designer and our second hire was was an android developer and then I, and I did the rest the back end and the the ios the mvp itself was uh, back in the day angular over node and ruby on rails showing real time visibility on drivers and to the consumers so in a way connecting consumers drivers and businesses in real time uh, it was simple, but it had some very basic, strong principles that we actually keep up to date, which is when you do those type of things, you always, you know, you have the real time, the operational view, you have the planning view, you know, what will happen tomorrow, and you have the historical view, which is analytical and, and, and BI and so on and so forth. So obviously most of it didn't exist, but the principle of you can look at tomorrow, today and, and yesterday, we're already in the MVP. That said, it took us about two months to build a very basic working product. Well, then, you know, with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? Uh, technical debt or feature cut. What decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term? And how did you cope with those decisions? You have to make decisions. I agree with your first sentence. I'm, I'm, I'm less inclined to go with the second part. You have to make uh, adjustment and you have to sacrifice some things in order to be on time. You, you know, not only on MVP, and, and I believe you always MVP. Life, you know, I think in, as a startup and as a good company, uh, you have to be agile, you have to move fast, and you always MVP the next thing. You MVP the first thing, if, it, if it's good, you continue. If not, you continue to do other MVPs forever. But I believe that if you have a good product sense, the decision to cut on things should be on the product level, not the technical level. And what do I mean? For example, from day one, we had, we had 
full coverage of, of tests, unit tests and, and, uh, and uh, integration tests from day one. And we almost didn't have technical debt. The way we did it, we've never had, by the way, until now, seven years, eight years, we've never had like a version two of anything. We've never rebuilt anything. What we've done instead, it's not that I'm super smart or, or that we had amazing developers, but we have a different approach to doing things. First, the product is saying no to a lot of things, which is not easy to do. And second, uh, because our approach is always improved, we don't do huge refactoring. We, we, we look at, and, and I'm assuming people know what refactor is, but the idea is, is to refactor all the time, small things, and, and, and by doing that vigilantly, you usually don't get to the huge refactor that you need because you're always improving. It's actually unique that you didn't have a lot of technical debt and you didn't have a ton of refactoring to do. That's, that's really cool. In a way, you can think about you can think about that we didn't have a lot of refactoring, or you can think about that we've always been refactoring forever. So it's a lot of refactoring. Okay, so you've got your MVP, you've got your approach, and how you're building it. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think I'm I'm most interested in how do you build your roadmap, and how do you decide what's the next most important thing to build or to fix or to refactor? Our roadmap is divided to three types of timeframes. We have the five years, super high level, you know, lighthouse approach. Where do we want to be? We don't know how we will solve it. We are not trying to even understand how we will solve it, but we want to know where we are going. We see the mountains that, that we are going towards. We, we have no idea what's the road to there, but we see the mountain. We, we have to make sure that we are going somewhere. The next thing is where we want to be in a year. What's going to happen in the next year? Also here, because we are super agile uh, and we believe in, in never-ending MVP, it's not super specific. We have usually from year to year the six subjects, let's say. And, and these are subjects. These are one-liners that we want to go and concentrate on in the next year. So you can assume that if, if it's six points that you're going to concentrate on, those are very high level and, and not very specific. The next time frame is what we are going to do in the next sprint. So it's a big jump. Anything in between, what we are going to do three months from now, what are we are going to do six months from now, what we are going to do in the next quarter, we have no idea. We have some assumptions, but, but we, are, we, don't have, we don't waste time on what we don't know. What we do instead is that we provide, because we can afford to be very concentrated on specific things that we are working on, we are always meeting the market. We always release to the market. We have continuous integration and continuous deployment almost from day one, meaning, you know, obviously through the years it's more and more versions, but today we have like 20 to 40 you know, versions or deployments a day in an enterprise product, which is also not common. Everything we are doing, we are meeting the market. We get feedbacks, either manual feedbacks from people or uh, you know technical feedbacks from analytics and so on and so forth, but we get feedback and we adjust and change what we need, which can vary from the product was just not good enough and people don't, don't adopt and don't, don't understand, uh, and all the way to it was an amazing MVP. It got all the results we wanted, now let's build, in a way, the next thing that is built on top of it, the next assumption, the next something that people need. 
Uh, throughout this, we, we always speak to customers. You know, I call it meet the customers always in real time and make sure that everything that is needed has to match one of the six points in the roadmap. If it makes sense, we match the, the immediate need with the long-term goal. And if they match, then it's, a, it's, it's something we have to do. If they don't match, it's probably something we don't need to do. Well, let's, let's switch to team then. So how did you build your team? And you know, what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? So first, I, I strongly believe, I know a lot of people say it, and I know it's super hard to actually follow it, but I strongly believe that people are the most important thing that you go with. It's not easy at the beginning, it's even harder later, and it's the hardest when you get to, you start getting to be, you know, tens of people and you need to hire, and you need to hire quickly and, and so on and so forth. So you really need to first, when you are small, a uh, small company and a few people, you just need to think about what you want to do in terms of people. Like what type of people do you want? What type of culture do you want? For me, personally, it was it was easy. I, I had a very simple definition. I want to build the R&D, the engineering team that I would enjoy working in. Not too complicated. I've been working in a lot of companies from big to small before. Uh, I worked in startups. I started my own things. I even worked at, uh, at IBM for three years. So I know how like a big corporate works. I know the advantages or I felt, I don't want to say, you know, advantages is the wrong word. I, I felt what's right for me and what's not because there are many ways to be successful, but there are not as many ways that each person find themselves in. And, and I always felt that if I build something unique that is working properly and it is fun to be in, the it might not be suitable for everybody, but the people that it suits, you know, that it's working for them, might not find this, this environment elsewhere and be very much drawn into this type of, of workplace. So again, I'm not trying to say this is the best way, I'm trying to say this is the best way for me and a few other people. I met amazing people along the way that were not like me and, and, and still they were successful. So I don't want to say this is the only way, but this is the way for me. And a lot of other people felt that it was an interesting way for them as well. In, in that aspect, you know, we, I was looking for people that are very, you know, they care about the product, um, both R&D and product people. Obviously, product people care about the product, but, but I, I was looking for R&D people who, who care about the product. And not only the technical side, but also how it looks and how it feels and, and, and can give some input to the product people. And in product people, I look for people who, they don't have to be technical, but they have to care about, or at least understand how important it is to have clean code. And, and when you bring those type of people, again, it doesn't fit everybody, but people who are like that don't find this environment everywhere. And once they find it in Bring, they, they love it and they completed each other. The, when, when a product person did a mistake, there was a R&D person there to, to tell him, listen, you know, it might be the wrong thing because you know, we don't treat our customer that way or we have a different principle that it doesn't align and so on and so forth. Um, and on the other hand, you'll be surprised how many times the product people told the R&D people, the engineers, listen guys, slow down slow down, let it concentrate on quality. You need to do what you need to do. Just tell us how long it takes so we can plan, which is not 
common in other places. Let's switch to scalability. You kind of touched on this a, a little bit when you were talking about how you built the product and decisions and trade-offs, but I want to dig into it a little more. Did you build this to scale efficiently or were you fighting this as you grew? Uh, both. I had some experience from Get on, on location, you know, reporting and so on and so forth. So like I said, it's like Uber. So we had to report location of taxis and so on and so forth. So, so, so I knew how to build to scale. Technology change, a lot of things change and you need to get updated. And there is, I strongly believe that there is such a thing as premature optimization. On the other hand, if you understand what you're building towards, you can build it more or less right sooner without sacrificing too long and investing too much in things that you don't need. So you have to find a balance. I, I, I cannot say that I've thought about scaling from day one. In some of my decisions and, and the engineering decisions, we, we built it to scale from day one. In others, we didn't. And once we started to scale like crazy, obviously we ran into issues. And, and, and like everybody, we started, you know, technology aside, we started with monolith and we moved to service architecture and, and we expanded into multiple clouds and so on and so forth. So things changed, but it was built in a way that it was very easy to change. The refactors was, were not painful. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Bring, what are you most proud of? For sure, the team. You go to work with the place that people are in love with the product, in love with what we've done, with the effect that it has on people. We had uh, an executive come to visit us one day. They've started, they didn't have deliveries before. They've started delivering with, with Bring and expanded nationally in the US. I hired a lot of people and, and he was the first person that actually came, you know, in front of the, of the team and, and said, you know that tens of people have jobs because of the things that you've built. They actually have jobs because, you know, they are drivers and they are dispatchers and it didn't exist before. And because, you know, we've built together something amazing, they have work and, and it, you know, it, it's, it's a proud moment. You are actually affecting people's lives outside, providing work, providing experiences, saving time, saving money, saving gas. And, and the team appreciate that. And I'm very grateful and I'm very proud of the team. And, and that's the reason it was, you know, it's, it's fun to come to work. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake that you made and how you and your team responded to it. Just one. Uh, I'm very proud of the fact that we do CI/CD in, uh, you know, multiple deployments a day and so on and so forth. But but it's risky, especially in in um, mission critical enterprise systems. That, that's why so few people do that. The way to overcome this is is quality, making sure people are responsible, and obviously test coverage. That said, you know, test coverage is not 100% and, and, and occasionally you make mistakes and especially if you move fast and you scale and, and, and everything is together and you are just a small uh, startup trying to understand everything uh, at the same time. So we've had uh, times with customers, actually that same customer <laughs> that came to visit us afterwards. But when we started in the when, when we started scaling with them, it was uh, one of the you know the second or third customers of ours that actually scaled quickly. Um, and we had we had production issues, we had scaling issues, not every day but a lot for about a month or, or two months. 
Okay. Uh, so obviously those were, were mistakes and we, we were not careful enough. We were too hurried to try to give the customers what they wanted quickly versus safely, which was not a responsible thing to do at the time. Uh, since then we've learned and we, we built automatic processes to stop the, uh, this type of behavior when it happens. Uh, but back in the day we were still young, so we've made those mistakes costs uh, in experience and frustration for everybody. I think though one of the things that's super important is is not trying not to have mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. The important thing is how do you react when you have a mistake? You take responsibility, you understand what was the mistake, you know, you really deep dive into the technical issues in this case, understanding what was the mistake, if the mistake was also around communication and open channels with customers to explain to them what's happening, improve those, change and so on and so forth. Always understand, accept what you've done and learn from it and, and then improve. And we've done that. So, you know, first proof is, is that we're not doing that anymore. Second thing is that, again, when, when this person came to us, this executive from that company, he said, listen, you guys are like the worst supplier that we love working with. And, and, and he said that as a compliment because we move fast. Uh, we explain what we do. We allow them to move as fast as, as they would have their own professional people do that. And even faster because we have more experience in logistics. We are bringing new ideas to the table that they didn't think about. We just allow them to scale very, very quickly. We have mistakes, but the fact that we took ownership and, and provided visibility allowed them to trust us. And this type of behavior, not that I like it, I prefer not to have mistakes, but if you have mistakes, own them and, and share the pain and share your learning with your customer. And, and most technical people understand that, you know, you have bugs, you know, nobody doesn't have bugs, but if you improve and you change and you make sure they don't repeat, then they can work with you. Well, what does the future look like for your product and for your team? What happened with COVID, it expedited e-commerce and deliveries. Like in, in a few weeks, we, we jumped in, in scale and in number of deliveries, uh, in, in numbers that were estimated to happen in five years. Obviously not only Brink, you know, the entire market. Uh, people started using it everywhere. So there was a huge explosion. And I think that it will continue because once people start using deliveries and e-commerce, it's very hard to go back. So the need for Bring and the services that we provide we will expand. I think that in the future, we start being like an open platform that we really always intend to be. So, so today, the open platform part is the fact that we have like APIs and, you know, an, an integration layer, and it's very easy to integrate to bring, but more and more places have platform like that. Our direction is that we will allow people to actually write their own code on top of Bring and actually improving Bring in, way, in ways that we don't understand and we don't even know, uh, like a two operations operating system of logistics. This is something that will allow us and our customers to really scale, not, not in the number of deliveries, but also in number of services. Let's switch to you, Lior. Who influences the way that you work? Uh, name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. I, I, I'm going to risk it uh, to be like an excited small kid. And I'm going to say Elon Musk. 
but I'm not sure that it's the regular reason. The reason I look up to Elon and, and what I'm learning from him is actually his, his vision. His vision is so huge. It's unbelievably big. Everything that he does with Tesla and, and with SpaceX and, and, and everything about preserving energy and moving to space and in cars and smart cars and batteries, I think it has a bigger vision. And I don't think many people have that distinct, clear vision of where he wants to be in like 30 years. I'm not sure he, he shares it exactly, but I think he knows. Like I said before that I think we, I know where bring needs to be in five years. I think he's the type of person that has the same thing for 30 years. And everything that people see him does and think about, you know, his analytical capabilities and his foresight, I think it's nothing compared to what he really sees and how far he plans. And that's an inspiration for me. And I think that people need to think very, very, very big because, you know, startups usually fail. And if they don't fail, then they very rarely succeed what they wanted. So at least aim very, very, very high. And then whatever you reach is also pretty high. So that, that was like an eye opener for me. So, so we talked about mistakes a little bit, but a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? The thing I did the worst, and I'm not very good at, is actually explaining everything I'm talking about right now in the podcast, like explaining the theory about being agile, explaining the theory about don't have anything unturned in your R&D, in your technical stack. Explain the theory around not having a roadmap or a very vague roadmap for the next year. I was not very good. I'm still today not very good at explaining it. The reason I'm, I'm saying that is when you go to agile development, at the base of agile and, and process is trust. People need to trust the process. People need to trust the team that is being agile because you sacrifice some of the visibility and planning in order to achieve true agility. And trust comes from understanding, uh, especially as you grow and you bring in new people, they have to understand what you're doing in order to trust the process. And I think I failed in that repeatedly. Luckily for me, I have hours and hours of hours and of running and thinking about how to say it better, but still I'm not very good at it. Well, last question, Lior. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Enjoy it. You know, make sure that you're doing what you believe, believing in yourself. The idea is, is important, but it's not as important as what you're believing you know, and your values. If I'm talking to an entrepreneur, you're probably, you probably believe in your idea and you're sure that it's the next best thing. It might be the next best thing. Uh, it might not be. So the only sure thing that you can have is that you, you, you do what you believe. You don't sell yourself and your values along the way. Because I've seen people who've done things that they don't believe and they are not proud of you know, in terms of values. Um, and eventually, sometimes you succeed, sometimes you don't. So at least, you know, be true to yourself. That's great advice. 
Well, Lior, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Bring. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.